Yes, indeed, God alone is our true wisdom and our true word. And because of this truth, we can go to him with hope and assurance, trusting that he hears us because of Jesus, our righteousness and our surety. And it is with this assurance that we can go to him now. So would you join me in prayer? Gracious Lord, we thank you for this day that you have made. And we thank you that we can rejoice and be glad in it because of the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of your son, Jesus. We pray now that you would hold us fast in him as we look towards heaven's joy and perfect union with you and your people. Lord, we ask now on behalf of the many who have been impacted by the building collapse in South Florida, we pray that you would comfort those grieving the loss of family and friends. We ask that you would be with the search and rescue team and all of those who are involved. And Lord, we ask that through this tragedy that many would turn to you and come to a saving knowledge of what you have done in Christ as their hope. Give peace to that region, we pray. And Lord, we lift up those who we partner with in gospel ministry. And so, Lord, we pray for Stephen and Annalisa Riley and David and Chris Lawrence at Erbil Baptist International Church. Lord, we pray that you would sustain the ministry there. Give them health and favor with the government, particularly in the processing of visas and paperwork. Lord, give the church unity. And we pray that you would strengthen their partnership with other gospel-proclaiming churches in that region. And Lord, we ask for the many non-believers that they would hear the gospel faithfully there. We also lift up the chapel church near us. We pray for their pastors, Stephen Brucker, Mark Bethune, Phil Spagnolo, Myron Sorgenfrey, and Jonathan McNichol. We thank you for their partnership in the gospel, and we ask that you would cause them to persevere in the proclamation of the good news of Christ crucified and resurrected. For all the gospel-proclaiming churches in this region, we pray, Lord. And Lord, we want to pray for our leaders in government. So we pray for President Biden, Governor Inslee, and Mayor Eidinger. May we honor them, pray for them, and even be thankful that you put them in their positions for your sovereign purposes. Keep them from wickedness and deceit, we pray. Watch over them for their good and ours. And Lord, we not only pray for our country, but we pray for the world that you have made. And so, Lord, we lift up the country of Iraq to you this morning. We pray for President Baram Saleh. 
We ask that he would lead graciously and that he would not lean on his own understanding, but instead acknowledge you as the only wise God. Lord, we pray for the many people in Iraq who are oppressed and suffering. We pray that you would bring justice, mercy, and hope in and through you. We pray for the church in Iraq. And Lord, we pray for more churches to be planted there. Lord, we know that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So we pray that you would continue to raise up more men and women to go to the nations to build up local churches in the gospel all around the world. And Lord, we pray, lastly, for ourselves. We pray for those in our midst suffering, struggling with physical needs. We pray that you would give us what we have not for our good and for your glory. And Lord, we pray that we would rejoice to worship together freely, that we would warmly invite others to come and worship as one body in one spirit as we gather as your word commands us to, to give thanks. We pray that the duty of gathering would pale in light of the great delight that it is to worship you as our King. We pray that we would be unified also in your spirit. We know that the enemy would seek to divide us, but Lord, keep us one in you. May we be one just as your son prayed. Help us to identify the pride and sin that would keep us from being one in you and one with one another. And finally, we praise you, our triune and holy God, the sovereign, saving, and secure God. And we entrust ourselves fully to you today, tomorrow, and the next until you take us into glory with you once and for all. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, good morning. It is a joy to be here with you. It's a joy to open God's word with God's people this morning. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud under the bludgeoning of chance. My head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. This popular poem penned in the 1800s by English poet William Ernest Henley is in many ways the heart song 
of humanity. And though it is strangely beautiful and poetic, it is also dark and devastating and self-deifying, for it is a prideful prayer of man. It is the lullaby of the lost. It is the song of the world. But what does the prayer of the godly look like? What does it sound like? What is the heart song of those who have been redeemed? The church. Well, if you have your Bible, please open to 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2. It's about quarter way through the Old Testament. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 10 this morning. And once you land there, you'll be helped to keep it open because we're going to be living in this chapter and specifically this, this prayer this morning. This is the good and profitable word of God. Just follow as I read. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones. But the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Let's pray. Gracious and loving Father, we humbly ask now that you would open our eyes and our ears, that you would turn the lights on in our dim mind to understand your word today. Tune our hearts to sing your praise and fill us, Lord, with your grace. May our minds and hearts not just be informed by your word this morning, but may we be transformed by your word this morning. And let the words of my mouth your very weak servant. And the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. 
It's in the name of the saving, sovereign, and secure Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, to better understand this prayer, this song, this morning, let me invite you to step into the greater context of 1 Samuel for just a moment. In the modern order of the Old Testament, 1 Samuel comes after the book of Ruth. But in the Jewish Bible, the Bible of the Hebrews, the one that Jesus would have read, 1 Samuel comes right after the book of Judges. And Judges ends with this haunting statement. It says this, In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. See, these were days of deep crisis for Israel, both morally and politically. They were leaderless. Things were broken. Things seemed out of control. And as readers, we should be asking, who can fix this? We'll enter 1 Samuel chapter 1. At first, we're met with more upheaval as we read of a very broken family. And more specifically, we read of, read of three members of that family. We read of the husband, Elkanah, and his two wives, Penina and Hannah. And this family is just as dysfunctional as Israel. Penina is blessed with children and cruelly provokes Hannah with this truth. And she is therefore called Hannah's rival there in chapter 1, verse 6. And let the record show that polygamy doesn't work. In the Old Testament, it's, it's never blessed. It always leads to dysfunction. Well, then there's, there's Hannah. Childless, grieving, bitter, and angry because the Lord has closed her womb. As we read there in verse 5, she can't bear children. But in the midst of this family's tension and rivalry, in the midst of Israel's foolery and chaos, Hannah prays with sadness and in hope in 1 Samuel 1 for a child. She pours her heart out to the Lord with hope, with faith, with active trust and assurance in the Lord. And the Lord responds. responds. He grants her her request and she conceives a son whose name is Samuel. And chapter 1 of 1 Samuel closes with Samuel being set aside in the temple for the Lord, set aside to do the Lord's work. And then we arrive at chapter 2. At our prayer this morning, we arrive here at the song of Hannah as she praises God. And to guide our time this morning, here's the main idea of the prayer. Here it is. If this was the chorus of the song, here it is. Pray with hope and assurance to our sovereign God of salvation and security. Pray with hope and assurance to our sovereign God of salvation and security. And this point unfolds in our text through three stanzas, three verses, and this is our outline this morning. 
First, we're going to see from the first verse the salvation of God, verses 1 through 2. Then we're going to see the sovereignty of God in verses 3 through 8. And then we're going to see the security of God in verses 9 through 10. Let's tune in, brothers and sisters, to this first verse, the salvation of God. Let me read verses 1 and 2 again. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exults in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies, because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. In these verses and the preceding, we see that the same heart that pours out to God in anguish is the same heart that is now rejoicing with God-exalting assurance. Hannah says her heart exalts or is happy in the Lord. She says her horn or her strength is in the Lord. And from her rejoicing heart, her mouth speaks as she boasts over her enemies because of God's salvation, God's deliverance of her, both deliverance from barrenness and from the hurtful words of her rival, Penina. See, it is God who delivers. It is God who saves. It is God who hears the prayers of his people and responds in accordance with his will. And all that is required of us is humble dependency. For Christian prayer is where our humble dependency and God's mercy meet. Well, Hannah continues to to praise our God of salvation here in verse 2 with a three-part refrain. She declares, there is none holy like the Lord. She declares, there is none besides you. And then she declares, there is no rock like you, God. Friends, behold the incomparable God. The one whom the angels declare day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was and is and is yet to come, the one whose holiness is unequaled, the one whose very being is unequaled, the one whose dependability is unequaled. This is our holy God of salvation, and there is none. There is none like him. And we can pray to him with hope and assurance because he is, as Hannah prayed there, the rock of our salvation. Well, three of my favorite places on the West Coast are Cannon Beach, Oregon, Pacific City, Oregon, and Morro Bay, California. What do these three places have in common? Well, they're all beaches. But all three have monstrous rocks. And ranging from 500 feet to 3,000 feet high, these rocks are huge. Whether standing before them as a child or as an adult, one thing is clear. They are big and they are epic. You can't help but feel small and very finite next to them. 
that you're looking and beholding their strength and their grandeur, especially as the waves are slamming against the rock over and over again. And we need to hear this. No matter what waves come in this life, waves of anxiety or addiction, waves of depression, the wave of childlessness, waves of loss, waves of consuming sin, waves of marital strife, waves of parenting struggles, waves of chronic illness. Know this. These waves are no match for the rock of our salvation today, tomorrow, and the next. They are no match for Jesus. And so what does it look like for you to stand upon the rock, to lean in to the rock with complete dependence? What does it look like to be built upon the rock, upon and into the rock, the cornerstone of our salvation, Jesus himself? Well, practically, it looks like being an active member of his body, the local church. Practically, this looks like gathering together as we have today under the word. It looks like praying and reading his, his letter to us from Genesis to Revelation together. It looks like gathering together and studying his word in discipleship in the life of the church, one-on-one or, or in small groups or in first-hour course seminar classes. It looks like showing up together and pointing one another to Christ, who is our rock. For the love of Christ is deeper and broader and greater than any earthly trial, circumstance, or affliction. Amen? And we need to be reminding one another of that truth as we lean into the rock, stand upon the rock together. Well, God is not only a God of salvation, he is also sovereign. Which brings us to our our second verse in Hannah's song, in Hannah's prayer here. Verse 2, let's look there at the sovereignty of God, verses 3 through 8. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and he makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. 
Behold, brothers and sisters, our sovereign God. The pastor and author A.W. Tozer said this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. For what we think about God impacts all of our lives, especially our prayer lives. From our head, to our heart, to our hands, to our mouths. Hence, Hannah declares, put away prideful and arrogant speech. From the mouth, friends, the heart speaks. The state of the heart is exposed by what comes out of the mouth. And our words either exalt God or ourselves. They either construct or they deconstruct. They either build up or they tear down. And ultimately, the Lord hears and sees the heart and every word. He knows the heart because he created the heart. And according to verse 3, in the song this morning, he is a God of knowledge. And by him, actions, all of what we think, say, or do, are weighed. In other words, he is sovereign over all. He knows all and he sees all and controls all meticulously. And I want us to notice that Hannah doesn't assume or neglect this attribute of God's sovereignty. No, she declares boldly in this section of her prayer. But here's the thing. That many in the church today have a uh, struggle with God's sovereignty. Many have a love-hate relationship with God's sovereignty because we are creatures of control aren't we? We want control. We want to be sovereign. And since Genesis 3, we have been proclaiming, sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly, the last line of the poem that I read earlier. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And this causes us to often abuse prayer and treat God like our genie to do our bidding. But friends, God is not our genie. Yes, we can take every petition and every praise before him, both simple and great. But he gives and he takes away according to his will and not ours. Well, additionally, the sovereignty of God is, is a struggle for many because it seems to contradict the usefulness of prayer. Many have asked, well, if God is sovereign and in complete control, then why, why pray? Well, why pray if he isn't? How can we depend on a God and on God's word if he does not know all things? See, God's sovereignty provides us with sweet assurance that when we go to him with our prayer, that he will hear us and that he will answer according to his will and not ours. 
We've heard it said that the devil is in the details, but friends, no, no, no. It is God who is in every detail, in suffering and in joy. He is in control of all things and he sustains all things. I mean, think about this for a moment. If the world was 0.0000001% off of its axis, we would spin off into oblivion. God sustains all as he speaks and acts and promises and fulfills according to his sovereignty. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God's sovereignty covers and coats all of your lives? It's one thing to know this as an abstract theological truth. It's another to practice it and for it to be revealed in our prayer lives. Do you know what this means if God is sovereign? This means that when you lose a child, pre or or post-pregnancy, whether it's 10 weeks in, like the child that my wife and I lost between our two daughters, that we can rest in the sovereignty of God. It means that whether the Lord grants children or permits ongoing barrenness, we can rest in the sovereignty of God and in his goodness. It means that when we're facing unending sickness and cancer, we can trust that God is in control, for he is good and that he is working all things for our good. It means that when we interact with loved ones who have turned away from the faith, we have not yet come to know the gospel, we can rest in the sovereignty of God over their salvation. It means that when we are praying for our missionaries, that we can pray and rest in the sovereignty of God and leave the results up to him. It means that when we encounter sweet evidences of God's grace and goodness in our lives and just his many provisions, even today in this room, we can rest and delight in the sovereign care of God. He is sovereign. We are not. And we can pray to him with hope and assurance for all things exist between the Alpha and the Omega. All things. Well, it's incredible and informative to us that the bulk of Hannah's prayer is her praising God for his sovereignty. The truth of this is all over. It's all over this prayer permeates this prayer. And we see this clearly as she walks through these seven pictures of the Lord's sovereign control. Seven truths, seven reversals that reveal who he is and what he does. First, she prays God is sovereign over the strong and weak. According to his control, the mighty are brought down, but the weak are lifted up and made strong. Second, God is sovereign over every provision. According to his control, the well-fed work for bread. But the hungry cease to hunger. Third, God is sovereign over the barren and those who are given children. According to his control, the Lord blesses and gives children to the childless. Fourth, God is sovereign over life and death. According to his control, the Lord kills and he makes alive. Fifth, God is sovereign over the rich and the poor, as we just read. According to his control, he makes all things Rich or poor, he brings low, he exalts, according to his will. Sixth, the God is sovereign over the needy. 
According to his control, he lifts up. He raises up, making us princes and giving us honor. Seventh, God is sovereign over all creation. According to his control, he sets and sustains the whole earth. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. These seven pictures, these seven truths, these seven reversals together make up a glorious collage of God's perfect, sovereign will over all. And if you're a non-Christian here this morning, I need you to hear this. Maybe this is your first time in church, or maybe you've grown up in the church but have yet to bend the knee to Christ, or maybe you're here this morning as a skeptic and unsure about this God who, who we've been talking about this morning. Please hear me. You were made by the sovereign God. You were made to worship this sovereign God. But you're dead in your sins. All those things, all those ways that you pridefully rejected God and his goodness, and your words and deeds, and that has separated you from God and deserves hell. But I have good news for you, friend. That God is in the business of making dead things alive. Just look around you. Through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Friend, Jesus came to this earth. He took on flesh. He set aside his splendor and entered this place he lived the life that we couldn't and then died the death on the cross that we could not either. And there at the cross, he bore the wrath of your sin and my sin. He took that weight upon himself. This was the greatest reversal of all time. The greatest picture of love and compassion of all time. And three days later, he got up from the dead declaring victory over sin and victory over death so that everyone who repents and believes, repents of those ways that, you have not, that you're not acknowledging God and his sovereignty and his care for you. Repent of all of those ways and turn to him in belief. And like that, you're made a son, you're made a daughter, and you're given eternal life. Friends, we believe this. We believe this. But if you are a Christian, then this prayer is specially and specifically for you as you rest in God's salvation and sovereignty. May this come out of your prayer life. For he is all-powerful, all-sustaining, and all-sufficient. And the sooner we recognize this, the sooner and more robust our prayer lives will become, the more our faith will be increased, just as Hannah's was. He is our sovereign God. But Hannah doesn't stop there. She moves on into verse 3, the security of God. Let's, let's read through these verses, these last verses together, verses 9 through 10. 
He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his anointed and exalt the horn of his anointed. Thus far we have heard Hannah pray and sing of the God who saves and the God who is sovereign. And now she praises the God of true security. And at the center of this verse is the statement, not by might shall man prevail. See, this verse reveals that Hannah recognizes that the one who trusts in the Lord must come to an end of themselves. I remember holding both Emery and Hazel on the days that they were born separately. They don't have twins. Separately and feeling the overwhelming desire to protect them at all cost. But then the the time came to leave the hospital. And I pulled the car around and I I put the, the car seat in the car, gently set them in, and then we drove away. And I had to rest in the, not only in the sovereignty of God, but in the security of God. I had to trust the integrity of that car seat and the integrity of the car as we drove that no one was going to hit us. And that was just the beginning. (laughs) That was just the beginning. I felt the ability to both protect and the inability to protect simultaneously. Well, just as I am insufficient, just as you all are insufficient to truly and fully protect our kids 100% of the time, this ought to cause us to lean further into him as our God of security. We may think that by our might we'll, we'll prevail, but our strength is an illusion of safety. Just look at 2020, case in point. We need guarding. Like children, we need a parent. We need protecting. We need the God of security. Lasting and true security. Well, at the the close of this prayer, Hannah prays that, that God would give strength to the king and to exalt the horn of his anointed. But there's a problem. Remember at the ending of Judges that Israel has no king. But still, Hannah prays with assurance and hope that God will secure his people with a king. For her song, her prayer climaxes with the truth that there was one coming. See, her son, the prophet Samuel, who is called the seer, would be the king anointer. One who would anoint Israel's greatest earthly king, David. But there's more. Ultimately, David's kingship was a a signpost that pointed toward a better king and a better kingdom, one that was spoken about in 2 Samuel 7, where, the, where Samuel writes, a house and kingdom that would 
endure before the Lord forever, a throne that would be established forever. Hannah's song climaxes and culminates in King Jesus. He is our rock. And if we are in him, then the waves of this life will break upon him. He is our security against the adversary, Satan and our earthly adversaries. He is our provision and protection. He is our faithful one. He is both judge and justifier. He is our strength. He is our king, ultimately. And if we are bound up with him, made part of his body by saving and sovereign grace, then Hannah's prayer is all of our prayer. Her song is our song, for this is the song of the redeemed. So in closing, how do you pray? What does your prayer life look like? What does it sound like? Do you go before God with only requests, only petitions? Or do you go before him with praise? Praise for who he is and what he has done with thankfulness and with assurance that he will continue to work that out in your lives. Friends, show me a church that prays together. And I will show you a church that is striving together in humility and grace and dependency upon Christ our King. One that recognizes, a church that recognizes that we need collectively, we need God, the one who saves, the one who is sovereign, the one who is secure. May we proclaim together, God alone is the master of our fate. God alone is the captain of our souls. For he is good. He is good all the time. So what song are you singing? Let's pray together. Lord, we praise you for your salvation that you have accomplished through Christ and applied through your Son. Lord, we praise you for your sovereignty over all things. And Lord, we pray for your security. We thank you for your security. We ask now that we would live our lives day by day resting in you, our good God. And Lord, we ask that what we have not, that you would give us. And that what we know not, that you would teach us. And that what we are not, that you would make us. To your glory and to your honor and to your praise. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.